podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? It's minus five. Minus five. Minus five is not fun. It's only minus three where I am, though I don't believe that to be the case. Today is going to be, by the looks of it, a bit of a better day than yesterday. It's meant to get up to three degrees today, which isn't too bad. I'm just waiting for Saturday. No, sorry, Sunday. Sunday, it's meant to rain, and hopefully all of this frost and ice and all the rest of it will just go away. So um that's where I'm living. Sunday, rain. Rain in a World Cup final. Sure, what else would you want if you live in rural Ireland? Um, <laughs> right. Speaking of World Cup finals, we found out last night that France will face Argentina in said World Cup final. A 2-0 win over Morocco. Teo Hernandez with the first goal on on five minutes. And Randall Colo Muani with the second on 79 to wrap it up. But, Carol, France didn't have it all their own way. Morocco really made them work for this. Yeah, this seems to be um, what France are now, or what France do. They they do the bits in the main times of the match that they need to, and then they kind of don't really dominate anymore. Um, aside from, I guess, the Australia game, after they fell behind them and were obviously much the better side, I really remembering any long, long stretches of World Cup game where they've been like completely on top and completely dominant and completely the better side. Uh, they've they've been very very happy to be in shape and without the ball for long stretches if they have to and I won't say it's ever cost them because obviously they've reached the World Cup final but it certainly makes them look beatable it certainly makes them look like you can really get at them if you have a good game plan to attack and I think in terms of the build up play Morocco definitely had that last night some of the link play some of the channel work was excellent. They just didn't really have anything in the box itself in the end. No, they didn't. Uh, so Morocco changed shape last night and go to a 5-4-1. No Agard, he at one point looked like he was going to be fit to play, but unfortunately was not. So Mazraoui and Romain Sice both passed fit. Dari and Yamak came in and they dropped one out of midfield. And I don't know that I'd call it a mistake, but it meant that they weren't defending in their usual manner. Players weren't playing in the normal 
zone that they'd be playing in. The two goals, Carl, both of them are flukes. Both goals are complete flukes. In both situations, Mbappe is trying to shoot on goal and the ball deflects to a teammate. Firstly, to Teo Hernandez, I think Bono should do better on that one. I think he comes out and gets his angles all wrong. And he's hesitant. Yeah, and yeah, he stops short. If he comes out on the right angle and actually closes down Theo, there's no way for Theo Hernandez to score the goal because he's at such a narrow angle. And the second one, again, he's trying to shoot and the ball just squirts across the goal and um, Moane taps it home from a yard and a half out. They were very fortunate with both these goals, is, is my biggest point. But I don't think Morocco necessarily helped themselves with the defensive shape. Because I think it made them just a little bit, a little bit hesitant in the defensive work. Yeah, I mean, it obviously didn't last long, but there was obviously damage done in that time as well. Saiz was off after 20 minutes. Um, Aguerd was actually named in the lineup initially, and then they changed it before kickoff uh, to bring Dari in. So that's the second time that's happened with Morocco, actually, because Bruno was named in the lineup one time as well and then took himself out as such, and uh, they changed goalkeeper before kickoff. Um, Morocco, I think, uh, sorry, both the goals really were as a result of Mbappe just drawing the attention of five people at once, basically. Um, every time that he went to shoot, there was like bodies in the way and bodies on the line and throwing themselves in front and. Obviously, that's fine in terms of you have to stop that danger. But the reason that both of those goals ultimately went in is because the players were left unmarked. There was nobody else to attend to them because everyone had sort of converged on this place where Mbappe was going to shoot. Um, good movement from... Um, every time I say his name, I want to say Randall Colo Toure. It's really bugging. Randall Colo Moani. And Teo's finish. Like you say, if, if Bono comes out there and just goes straight for the ball and flattens the forward and whoever else is there, that simply doesn't happen. There's nothing to, there's nothing Teo can do at that point. Mm. The ball's at such an awkward height. There's definitely because he, he sort of stopped and hesitated and waited to see what would happen. He's able to get that shot in. Um, I think without wanting to make it all about Mbappe, it does show you the, the form he's been in, the danger he is, the ability he has to draw defenders and it opens space for other people as well. And while that's not the, the be all and end all, it did make those moments. And like I say, France have been, I wouldn't say reliant on them, but happy to have them happen and then not try to force the issue, which is an, an interesting approach, but you know, they, they've proven able to do both sides of the game, I guess. They have. Now, Going into these quarterfinals, we had Croatia, Argentina, France, and Morocco. Four, te- four teams that would prefer not to have the majority of the football. Mm. Four teams that want the opposition to have the ball to come at them so they can open them up on a counterattack. And it's noteworthy that the two teams that had the most possession in both games were Croatia and Morocco, the two underdogs in both games. You had the favourites forcing the underdog to play with the ball and then taking advantage on counterattacks. Saw it with Argentina in their second goal. And France yesterday had some decent counterattacking options. But it is just an interesting thing to note ahead of the final that both Argentina and France have a preference 
to have around 35% of the ball-ish. And I think whoever wins the possession game in the final is is going to be the team that wins it. And by win the possession game, I mean the team that forces the other team to have the ball more. Because that's what happened in these games. France were forcing Morocco to have the ball by sitting in, by being compact. Now, France weren't at full strength either. Rabio and Upamecano ruled out through illness. Fafana came in for Rabio, and I don't think did enough to make a real claim to keep Rabio out of the final. I think that's quite kind. Yeah, I, well, I was trying to be nice because I do like him as a player. He's had a poor World Cup, but he's had he has. Yeah, he has. He's had two chances, and he hasn't been good in either of them. On the other hand, Ibu Kanate stepped in for Upamecano and was absolutely monstrous. I think maybe, with the exception of Griezmann, he was the best player on the pitch. He mm. was utterly sublime. It was very, 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 very good to see from a Liverpool perspective. Um, World Cup-wise, I, I don't think there have actually been that many better individual defensive performances than that one he showed last night. And he was so, so on point. He made a couple of really good recovery runs and interceptions behind uh, Theo um, when they were trying to get down that right-hand side. His positional work for being in the middle to cut out crosses into the six-yard box, low balls, cutbacks, all that, really, really good. Again, there was one in particular when I think it was I think it was just after Naziri went off. I can't remember now. if It might have been Naziri or, or just after he departed, but it was basically down the left-hand side for Morocco. And they got to the byline and played it across, and the forward had gone in, come back out again, and gone back in again, which is usually a really good way to lose the defender. But Kanate, not just ball watching, not doing what Dejan Lovren did and just watching Messi come in from the side and doing nothing with the, the forward behind him. He kept checking, he kept looking, he went back in with him, was in place to make the clearance. It looks simple when you're doing the clearance, but actually that whole phase of play was some brilliant, brilliant defending. It was, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding throughout the game last night, as he has been, Carl, throughout this World Cup. And that's now three starts in the World Cup for Ibu and one substitute appearance. And I, I think if he played one more game, like if he'd started the game he came on in or he had one more good sub-appearance, I think you could make a real case for him to be in the team of the tournament. I don't think there's been a centre-back who's been better than him each time they've been on the pitch. I just think, unfortunately, he probably hasn't played. I mean, he's played more than a lot, but I don't think he's played enough to warrant a team of the tournament. I mean, if he starts the final... Then Then it becomes a a real conversation. Yeah, and and to be honest, I think that's one of the big decisions Deschamps has to make because Marcano was good in a couple of games, but I don't think he's been great and he's had actually a couple of under-par games as well. He's had a couple of stinkers. Let's be honest, Harry Kane rinsed him. Yeah. Harry Kane made him look very poor. He made him look rash. He made him look like a very young defender making very young defender mistakes. And Ibu looks like a grown man. He looks calm. He looks composed. His partnership with Varane seems to work better than the Varane Upamecano one stylistically. I, I don't think it's a big decision. I think it's a very straightforward decision. And I think if, it, if Ibu doesn't start the final, I think it's a big mistake on the part of Didier Deschamps. I think he's been that good. And this performance was outstanding. Now, I know Argentina present a different type of threat 
because it's two smaller, quicker lads up front. But at the same time, do we trust e- uh, Dale Upamecano against Messi? Because I know I trust Ibu. Despite the fact that it's Messi, I know I trust him because we've seen him in a World Cup semi-final. We've seen him in a Champions League final and in domestic cup finals put in man-of-the-match level performances. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only reason it's any kind of decision is because Deschamps loves a second side. He absolutely loves it. And he loves to stay pretty, I guess, loyal is the word, to the players who start for him. And unless they're injured, they pretty much don't come out. I mean, like I think Ousmane Dembele is another one. I don't think he should start the final. He's played a, a good outlet role for them at times. He's been tactically okay at times, but I don't think he's been great. And I don't think in the semi-final last night he didn't really do anything in terms of on-the-ball work. No. Uh, I think he's had a couple of games like that. I think if Kingsley Coleman had have had more chances or um, Randall you know, off the bench... I think Kunku hadn't got injured. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that there would be considerations as to who should start that role. But I guess it will be Dembele because he started all of them. Sort of mm. um, Kunde again last night, I thought it was... I wouldn't say he was terrible, but I think he got done about five billion times. Like I've, I've rarely seen Jules Koundé get beaten that many times one-on-one. It's um, questionable, let's say, uh, of whether he's at his best form at the moment. And it's been a, a very stop-start season for him, obviously, since moving to Barca as well. Um, but I think the biggest thing for France is that Rabiot recovers. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And if he doesn't, I think it's, I think you've got to look at Camavinga yeah. and maybe giving him a game because... I. Fafana has not been good. And the the strange thing is, I think the reason he's gone for Fafana is because, like you said, he likes having a settled team. And Fafana has an established partnership with Chiumeni from when they were together at Monaco. And Camavinga and Chiumeni haven't had many opportunities together for Real. So I do think that's probably why he's leaned towards Fafana, but he hasn't been good. They've got to get Rabio back. They've got to, because the Argentine midfield, as constructed against Croatia, would absolutely swamp the midfield we saw last night from France. And I don't think the French would enjoy that afternoon's uh, outing very much at all. You're right about Kunde. I don't think he's had a good World Cup. Some, something doesn't look entirely right with him. He doesn't, he doesn't look like he has the same burst of pace, of pace that he normally has. So whether he's carrying an injury or something, he's not quite at it. But he wasn't great against England by any stretch either. Um, and you know we, we've we've talked about him a bunch of times before. We've both watched a ton of him. There's, there's definitely something that's not right with him. Yeah, I, I do think there's a bit of physicality missing there. He's normally really good springing in the air. He's normally really Phil Ford now jumped him. Yeah, he's normally very good acceleration over the first few yards. Ball carrying has not really been asked to do that, so you can't judge. But it doesn't look doesn't look very comfortable by him, to be honest. That's all it is. I don't know if, it, like I say, it's just the very, very stop-start nature of the season that he's had because he wasn't registered early on, then he had an injury, and then you know, all the rest of the stuff. So maybe just that, but basically nowhere near his his best level. But I think it's probably worth um, talking about Morocco as well because obviously you know, they've, they've lost, they're out, they're in the third place playoff, and we're not doing a a separate pod for that. So it's worth looking at them and maybe even Croatia now in this pod. And 
I don't want to say, you know, don't want to be, be patronizing about it, but they've achieved a huge, huge amount here. And it should be the third place game is like a celebration for them, really. Um, it's, it's a milestone, obviously, that they've never achieved before. It is a mad testament to the, the group work and the dynamic that they've had there. And even last night, even though none really of those injury issues that you, that you mentioned paid off because like, um, Aguerd was out at the start of the lineup, Sais went off after 20 minutes and Mazraoui went off at half time. But those, those were the three big injury concerns that they had. Gambled on all of them. None of them really paid off. And yet, all the players who came in still did a massive, massive part of the yeah. team to make them very, very competitive until the latter stages uh, of the World Cup semi-final. Yeah. I, I, I think it's an absolutely heroic effort. I think individually and collectively, every single player in that squad has every reason to walk out of this tournament with their head held high, no matter what happens in the game against Croatia. Now, obviously... If you win the third and fourth place playoff, you do get a medal. You get a bronze medal, and that is, that's a real collector's item. You're not going to get them many times in your career. Obviously, the Croatians already have one from the last, no, from, they have a silver medal from the last World Cup. So, you know, they're, they're used to bringing something home. No African team has ever brought home diddly squat from a World Cup other than some, you know, good feeling. What Morocco have done, it, it it's a huge step forward for African football and we're 32 years on from the beginning of the rise of African football, which began at the 1990 World Cup with Cameroon, followed on then with Nigeria. Then Ivory Coast sort of took the mantle. We've, and Senegal obviously in 02 as well, a big part of that. We've been waiting for an African team to really make a huge impact because a lot of those other teams, they got to the round of 16 or they got to the quarterfinals and they went out and it was all kind of predictable. This time they got someone to the last four and they played France and they played France quite well. And if it wasn't for two really fluky goals and I would say one or two questionable refereeing decisions. That game might have been a lot closer on the scoreline. It might have been a lot closer. And there might have been some reason for France to get very, very nervous late on. But they go out and they will go into this third and fourth place playoff. And it doesn't matter what happens from in, in terms of how we will view them. And I don't think it'll matter in terms of how their supporters will view them. I think these players are absolute heroes. Yeah, I can, can disagree with any of that, really. Um, I think some of the players have done wondrous things above the level that I've ever seen them do on a consistent basis at club level. Um, but others have just done what they do at club level, to be honest. But it's just been raised and elevated by the fact that they've had a whole team putting in the same amount of effort, uh, which is something which is not always present at some of those teams I think it's fair to say um you know I mean like Bono I mean earlier in the tournament maybe he didn't perform quite so well at the end of it you know the goals or whatever but basically not conceding a goal until the World Cup semi-finals other than an own goal that's outrageously good you know Hakimi we already knew was one of the best fullbacks in the world and has pretty much been the best fullback in the world at this tournament 
Um, but then you've got people like Hakim Ziyech, who has always had loads of talent, but when have you ever seen him put six games together like he just now has, or five games, whatever it is that he's played, and put in the level of effort that he has? Yeah. I don't remember that ever from him. No, even in that famous Ajax Champions League run, he didn't put together a run like this, and certainly not with the off-ball effort. No, that's what I mean. It's not, it's not the... Not even the technique, not even the creativity, because he would have had, you know, runs domestically as well with Ajax, where he's got goals and assists, you know, mm. seven in ten games or probably better than that, better than one in one for, for, for different spells. But the level of work rate, the amount of tracking back, the number of times he's filled in for people centrally or, or behind the midfield line, the amount of double teaming, um, single players in certain areas of the pitch to turn them back inside and win the ball back from Morocco. Like last night, there was like, three or four times in the second half where in that sort of half hour spell where Morocco were totally dominant and France couldn't get out their own third. There was like four Morocco players around each one of France's who was trying to bring the ball out, whether that was a lofted pass or trying to dribble down the left-hand side a few times or just play like two passes into midfield. It was ridiculous. And Ziyech, again, never, never do I see him do that at club level anymore. But certainly not for game after game after game. No. Chelsea fans of... must be wondering who this fella is. Well, I think Chelsea fans will just be hoping that they've added another 10 million onto his asking price, to be perfectly honest. I think they've had enough of it. Um, but then you've got a few of the others, like Amrabat, we've spoken about loads of times over mm. the last couple of years, um, with Fiorentina and before that in Belgium. Azadine Nanahi, I think, is, is probably the, the biggest breakout, let's say, that they've had at the World Cup. Yeah. Again, it only felt to me like it was last night when people started talking about him. I'm talking here in terms of like the, the wider television coverage or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden it seemed like every time he got the ball, they were like going on, Oh my God, how good is he today? Well, he's been like that all the way through. <laughs> um, it's, it's a really, really good platform and good stage for them to have, to have impressed him. Um, I would even say that, let's say someone like Jawad El Jamik, uh, who started at center back when, um, a girl was not available last time mm. out. I mean, he started again last night. Bad start, dodgy start, and maybe that's one of the things which is to do with the changing system when he jumped out and tried to make the interception in the build-up to that first France goal. He was the one who missed that uh, attempted sliding block, let's say. Yeah. But then later on, monstrous. Like, yeah. really, really big. Getting in the way of everything. Nearly scored that mad overhead kick which hit the post. Um, he may have made the, the, the block which was sort of going in and he cleared it from inside the six yard box in his own his own area of the pitch as well. So loads of players here have increased their standing, no question. But the bigger thing for for the team, let's say, has to now be that this gives them um let's say a blueprint or a platform for future success obviously because what what they won't want to happen now is that this is a one off. Like next World Cup they need to have another cycle of players who have at least a couple of them have joined in or taken over or whatever. Who can again get them out of the group stage? Can they do it back to back? It doesn't have to be semi-finals again. You never know what kind of route you're going to get, but to get out the group stage again, if that's been a really, really difficult thing for them to achieve, doing it back to back World Cups is enormous. How far can you go in the AFCON next time as well? Because they've not got a great record there either. No, and the AFCON is next year, Carl. So they yeah. they need to ride the wave of this World Cup into that AFCON. They are immediately going to be standout favourites because of what they've done here. Yes. And the big thing is that if you remember Senegal after the 2002 World Cup, and they were, you know, seen as the same. They were they were the new African standout nation and all the rest of it, and it completely fell apart because yeah. the squad that they had were like trying to get their own moves to bigger clubs, and they weren't really 
putting the effort in and there was a lot of um, remonstrations and like resentment among some of the squad members who hadn't um, gotten themselves big moves or whatever. And the coaches at the time spoke about it. This is nothing you know, insightful. They, they all spoke about this five, ten years later. Um, so the, the, basically the togetherness that they had, the group dynamic that they had, everything that, that helped them achieve what they did at the World Cup, that was gone by the next year. And at the AFCON afterwards and in the international camps afterwards, it was never the same again from that point. So that's a really big thing that I think Morocco have to keep hold of, have to even keep pushing to make it even better because that's so clearly something which has, has been an absolutely massive thing and obviously has got the support of the the, the fans on, on side as well. So that's a, another huge, huge thing for them to take on. Yeah, and I mean, there's been, there's some talented players that have been involved in, you know, recent squads that can come into this group and potentially help elevate a little bit. I think Imran Loza or Loza of um, Watford is a, is a very good midfielder and could provide some nice additional balance if it was Onana, oh, sorry, Onahi, um, Amrabat and him. I think that could be a really good midfield three. You've obviously got Amin Harit, uh, Harit, who, Harat, Amin Harat, who can come into the team as well once he recovers from that horrendous injury. You know, um, Sofian Alakush, he's a very good defender and he's someone that might be able to take a step up potentially as the long-term successor to Romain Saiz, who's got to be what, 32. So there are players available to them who can step up. There's a couple of good young players in the squad that's gone to this World Cup, who haven't fe- featured a lot, but could potentially be part of the next wave and be part of that team that goes to AFCON and I think needs to have a real go at winning that competition. The talent is there. I mean, and when you factor in Hakimi's 24, Mazraoui's 25, Agarda's 26, Ashraf Dari, who I thought had a good tournament, he's 23. Uh, in midfield, Onahi is 22. You've got um, Alconus, El- Elkanus, is that his name? Plays for Genk. He's very highly regarded, only 18, uncapped as yet. And you've got Zarari and um, Abuklal and... They, just there's talent here. There's real talent here that can take the next step. And players like Bufal, who's 29, and um, Zayic is whatever age he is, 29 as well. Sice is 32. Though there's there's already talent in the squad to potentially take over from them, but obviously those players are still going to be good to go in a year at the Afcon, but. Over the next four years, like you mentioned, to the next World Cup, these are the players that can step forward who've already been in and around the squad, let alone whatever's in their under their underage groups. Yeah, I think there's a couple of them there. How old's um, Abu Cloud? Did you see that? Because Zakari Abu Cloud, I thought he twenty-two. Okay, I thought he was a very, very impactful player off the bench for them. So if he's someone again who you try to integrate along the way, I think it's also very important that um, Abdiaziz really has good help from within yeah. the federation to make the right steps in his career because he's an unbelievable talent but he's obviously someone who still needs quite a lot of guidance polishing polishing let's say so um it's 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 important he doesn't get lost basically in he's only 20 yeah. you know 
Yeah. He, he, you don't want him to get lost in like loans and non-development and stagnate his career between sort of 2023. 20, you really want to harness that talent he has and give him every opportunity, which they have done their part here, obviously, in the mm. World Cup. He's been used frequently off the bench here. So very, very good for them. Massive, massive success as a World Cup overall. And uh, yeah, now it's about next steps, keeping it going. It is, exactly. And you know what else this is going to be great for, Carl? This is going to be great for their the getting them more of the players who have the opportunity to play for Morocco. So we know there's a lot of, uh, there's a big Moroccan community in the Netherlands. And we obviously know that in France, there's a lot of players of Moroccan descent. And oftentimes they lose out on those players. They decide to play for the country of their birth or, you know, whatever it is. I think this now will be like, a homing beacon for a lot of younger Moroccan heritage kids in different countries around Europe to look at their own national team and go, that's what I want to be part of. Like, that means more. If I go there and and I, I could maybe get 70, 80 caps in a team that's now riding a wave of momentum rather than the potential of getting four caps for France or six caps for the Netherlands. We've seen a lot of players over the years choose to play for the Netherlands or France. And it happens with England as well, with, with players that have options to play elsewhere. They get one or two caps for England, and then that's it. Whereas now, I, I think players are going to be drawn to play for this team. I, I don't think you could come away from the World Cup and not be inspired by what you saw. Yeah, yeah, definitely hope that that's the case. It's, um, like I said, it's got to be a progression now. It's got to be a, something that they can use as a platform for future successes and future generations mm. and the development of the game domestically and everything that basically, if we take it from a closer to home, like everything that the, the women's game has tried to do on the back of England winning the yeah. uh, Euros last year in terms of more better crowd attendances, that's not something they need in Morocco. The Moroccan domestic league is like crazy for their supporters and stuff. Yeah. But the development of it in general. Um, whether it's the, the infrastructure, whether it's better organization, whether it's more sponsorships and funds available for the clubs, whether it's development locally in, in key areas, whatever it is, they've got to use this as what is needed. I'm not going to pretend to know what they need domestically in the game in Morocco, but it's the, the, the springboard that you can use. It's the platform for future successes, the investment from government or for the, the interest in grassroots level or whatever it is that happens to be relevant to, to the Moroccan game, this has to be that. That's that moment. That's that spark for them to make this not just a one-off. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, we've seen the rise of um, Wydad in the in the African Champions League. Uh, they've won two of the last five. And there's obviously, uh, they've including last year's. So there's, there's a great growth there. It is becoming... A powerhouse, and actually, to be fair, North Africa in general, because there's been a winner from Tunisia two of the last five years as well, and it's actually sorry, two of the last six years. The last six years basically been two: uh, Egypt, Al Hali won two, uh, Tunisia, Es Tunis won two, and Wydad won two. They've they've been the dominant forces in African football over the last six years, and. 
Morocco are, are very much a big, big big part of that. So yeah, I mean this this I think is going to be great for their domestic game and their national game. So um we'll we'll pro uh, we'll preview sorry, can't get words out. We'll preview the third and fourth place playoff a little bit more in our next pod and we will also be picking our teams of the tournament and uh, we might have a quick look back at anything that we missed from these knockout stages uh, from the quarterfinals and semifinals. We've already done the round of 16, but we will be back tomorrow. Carl, is there anything you want to plug before you go? No, um, I think quite a lot of the stuff done during the World Cup is relevant looking back at not just off my work, but a lot of the stuff which was written at the beginning, the group Mm. stage. I want to do a bit of a feature at the end of the World Cup on I wouldn't say they're forgotten because they're only three weeks ago, but the people who really impacted in the moments from the group stage, because it kind of gets overlooked by what happens in the knockouts as well. But there's yeah. such a lot of big individuals and big moments and big things that happen in the groups. I, I would definitely like to go back over those again. So if there's someone you remember from the groups or some incident that you think was particularly poignant or noteworthy, feel free to fire them over to me and I'll uh, take a look and include them. Is it just a positive or are you looking for some you know, disappointing things as well? Uh, I might do two separate ones, I suppose, if there's enough of both. Oh, there's definitely enough of the latter. There's definitely enough of the latter. Uruguay on their own is enough for a whole article. Serbia is enough for a whole article. Uh, But yeah, we will leave it there and we will be back with you tomorrow. So take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.